Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name's Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching and before we kick off today's episode, I'd just like to let you know about the Habits of Leadership Academy for 2024. Now the Academy sees small cohorts of people come together online to look at the ideas and concepts that we discuss with guests on the Habits of Leadership podcast. You'll learn frameworks, techniques and tools to apply in your own context to enhance not only your own leadership but also that of the people around you. Now, it kicks off in February 2024, but I'd urge you, if you're interested, to get in now. Because we keep our cohorts small, we're pretty firm on having a cutoff, and so once we're full, I'm afraid we're full. Uh, You can enroll on your own as an individual, or you can bring your whole team with you. If you want to find out more and and register for the Academy, then head over to habitsofleadership.com and click on the Academy page. Now, today's episode is the second half of the conversation I had with Penrith Panthers head coach, Ivan Cleary. Many of you would be aware that I'm engaged there as a leadership and mental skills coach. And we sat down on the first day back at training to kind of debrief a little bit on the grand final victory and also start thinking, well, what does 2024 look like for a team that has won the past three seasons? If you haven't already listened to episode 89, Feel free to go back and listen to that before you listen to this episode, because this is a little taste of what you'll get. Uh, there's no fairy tales in rugby league. Um, false. False. <laughs> I sent a message down straight, you know, this is, okay, just get them to focus on defence. Don't worry about the scoreboard. Don't worry about how we're going to get the 10 points back. You know, it's got to be, we have to stop these guys, you know, before we do anything. Well, they scored again the next set. <laughs> <laughs> when I first came to Penrith, we decided, just based on my my discussions with people that were from here or had been here, I thought it was really important that as a, as a coach, I, I lived in the area. If you give responsibility to people, they you know they either grow with it or they're not ready for it, which is your fault for giving it to them in the first place. Mm-hmm. So um, players are no different, you know. At the end of the day, the players are out there doing it. Um, and I just are so lucky to have players and leaders in this team that I completely trust. And that's a big part of it as well. Completely trust and teach me things. And with that, let's get back to my chat with Ivan Cleary. When people ask, you know, when they know that I do a bit of work here and oh, what, what's, what's it like there? you know, and, and what's Ivan like or whatever. And, and one of the things that I often share back is that um, if you didn't know footy, like if you, you know, you'd have a real hard time picking who the head coach was, like in a training session or a meeting, you know, if you didn't know who Ivan Cleary was. And, you know, I think for what it's worth, you know, I think that that is a really useful thing for some people to hear because it does get past what you were speaking about before, which whether it's imposter syndrome, whether it's I've got to prove myself, you know, the irony, I've got, you know, I've got to tell everyone what to do because I'm not confident I know what to do. <laughs> like, I think that's, I think that's a delicious, it's a delicious irony, right? Yeah. But and, and everyone can see through it. And so, it, and we're almost, we, we, we're doing things against our best interests. But But I am... I'm wondering if there's it's almost like a rite of passage. I don't I'm not saying it should be, but it's almost like do you have to come to that realization yourself or could, you know, I'm thinking of well may, might touch on this shortly, but you know several of your assistants have now gone on to head coaching roles and I'm curious about whether they try and I'm not want to speak on behalf of them obviously, but whether they just try to recreate something from this starting point, right? Or is there a rite of passage that you kind of have to go through? You have to go through the stuffing it up, having, you know, bad interactions or whatever before you come out the other side and go, oh, actually, oh, yeah, give people this autonomy. Or, or what's, what is, what's your thoughts on that? Like, I want to try and sum that up. Uh, in <laughs> Better than I no, just did. <laughs> no, 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 no. 
No. Come on, don't be insecure about that, Dan. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Um, <laughs> if there's anyone out there listening that actually is in a position to fire people, um, one of the things that really bugs me about coaching, particularly in the NRL, but I'm not even going there about like English Premier League and in American sports when coaches just get hired and fired just, you know, like fish and chip paper, um, is when you, you know, when you – short answer, yes, I think there is a rite of passage. I think you have to go through stuff like this and failures to be able to actually learn properly. Um, so instead of firing someone, if you hired them in the first place, you just have to give them the opportunity to learn and maybe change a bit and adjust. And you do that by actually helping them and giving them feedback to say, this is what, you know, if you, you know, might not be you, but someone within the organization, give them a chance to actually learn from their mistakes mm. rather than just send them off to the, either the wilderness or some other club or mm. somewhere else or, because I think what you're doing is if you, if you thought they were good in the first place and now you've fired them, if they've gone to another club, they're probably going to be way better than they were at your club. Mm. You've just, you know. So, yeah. That's yeah, it's like you've put the money into the bank by giving them the space to learn and make mistakes, but then you don't see the fruits of that because you've not stuck with them. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. And, yeah. yeah, and I feel yeah. like it's, it's, it's your right. Mm. Because essentially if you've put the coach in, you're above him on the pecking order. Mm. And... You should be investing in him, especially if he's a rookie. Mm. Like, I don't care what you've done at an assistant level. Mm. Like, it is, it is another world when you become the head coach. And you can't, in so many respects, you can't actually prepare for that. There's some stuff that you just, you might hear about and think, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. Mm. But until you do it, you don't, you know. So it's, anyway, that's well, that's my beef for the day, Dan. But um, I think you'll actually be shocked at how second time around or, mm. you know, how much better... Yeah, you'll be. Yeah, do you um, do you you know chat with the you know Cameron or, or Webby in in a kind of that capacity now? Cause presumably, you'd have had certain conversations around this when they were working here and, and Trent as well. Um, but now they've gone to other clubs. Do you still offer that kind of sounding board? Is that the nature of that relationship, or is it now? No, nah, no, nah, I'm I'm giving you nothing because we're playing you next week. Is it now this? Is going to branch off into something else here, but um, I, I I would like to think that I offer it. Um, it's a little hard, I think, from their point of view, because you know we we are competing for the same breadcrumbs. Um, but I would like to think that that, that I can offer that. I I definitely listen. You know, we talk about stuff like that that you wouldn't talk to the average bear about. Which I would like to, as I said, I'd like to think that. Um, one of the things about insecurities and things is um, I probably learned as well actually, to actually share things that I've learned with even potentially competitors, mm. you know, because like any knowledge, if you can share it, that's actually that becomes a strength, I think, because just because just you're telling them something doesn't mean they're going to do it the same as you do it. Mm. Or if they try and copy it, mm. like word for word or, you know, cut and paste, then that won't work either. Mm. So that's something that um, I'm much more open to now. Uh, I won't be putting it out in the media anything but you know from a personal something from respect someone even if I'm competing against them mm. um you know I, I think it's the right thing to do to you know to share that kind of knowledge yeah and what about cross code stuff like do you do you learn from other codes and or other not even just code like other domains business um the arts like because um yeah i'm just interested in that idea of i, I guess i'm sort of drilling down into this idea of people leading you know, it's you know. Do you do you pick up things? Are you deliberate about picking up things from other domains in the way that your your hero Alex Ferguson, uh, you know, may have done? Uh, you steady, know, steady. Okay, maybe not hero. <laughs> okay, um, but you know, like he was quite. He would be quite deliberate in going to different domains and bringing things back. Pep Guardiola is the same. Goes, you know, goes to the arts and brings things back. Um, you know, concepts or ideas. What, what what do you yeah? Where else do you get your inspiration from? I guess rather than just sitting around in your in your head or, or talking to the people in your immediate circle. Yeah, all all of the above. Yeah, um, probably more so lately. Mm. Um, certainly since the invention of podcasts, mm. which makes it so much easier to access you know 
different sorts of information. I, yeah. I, I read, I love reading. Um, never been into fiction, so it's all about you know people's stories and or not. So the obvious one, sport, obviously. Um, yeah, entertainment. I just I read a good um, book recently about a you know basically about a band and how they all work and so um, anything I guess to do with um, yeah business, sport, entertainment. Mm. Anywhere where you are performing, I guess, if you're, you know, and you're also working with people. Yep. Uh, I, I find it's, yeah, crazy the the sim- the similarities that that um, these things hold and life lessons and a lot of it's around that I reckon about about little things about life lessons where you go oh, yeah you know I'm, that that strikes a chord maybe we can do that I have done the you know I do the PD trips and. Mm. Um, Maybe not as much as a lot of people because I value my family time mm. and time off. Um, but I've still done them and found them very useful. Yeah. So let's talk. How, how do you think about leadership? Like, first and foremost, do you see yourself as a leader? Um, you know, like this is a podcast called Habits of Leadership. Is this, you know, do you feel that you are a leader of people or of a cause or of a, you know, a, a, a group? However, you want to think about that. And if you do, how do you think about leadership? Why, why, you know, what is leadership? Yeah, so I do now. Mm. I certainly, I didn't really early, early days. Um, you know, it's not like you wake up every day and go look in the mirror and go, hello, Mr. Leader. <laughs> Where are you going to leave me today? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I kind of, I guess I had this, um, I knew I had this innate, I don't know what it was, where I, I like responsibility, you know, I like, um, I can't even articulate why, but I just I, I I do like if someone gave me if someone gives me responsibility to do something, I quite you know I gravitate towards that. Whereas some people will just go, "Oh mate, leave me leave me out of that," and I'll just yeah. So I do like that. Um, I think I've become more of a leader than a coach in my journey as a coach. I used to, so I'll explain that by saying I'm much less, you know, interest not interested, but I'm not. not I spend much less time on the little details of how we do things rather than, you know, yeah, like watching over, observing, um, you know, on relationships. Um, so I would say to answer your next question about how I think about leadership, it's like end of the day, you know, Someone said to me once, I think I read it, where if, if you're figuratively walking along and you look over your shoulder and people are following you, then you're a leader. So um, it's my job title, you know, you know, it's my job to lead people, lead a cause. Um, I think just I just do it from a way that's, you know, I'm definitely not a micromanager or I like to give people space and responsibility as li- I like it. I don't I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to be managed like that. Like I like to have the opportunity to, you know, uh, be empowered, make mistakes, fix them up without someone always telling me all the time. Mm. Um, so I, I, that's the way I like to do it. Obviously, that's situational, obviously. Like if you, you know, teach it a bunch of 10-year-olds and you're going to need to instruct more. And as, as it goes along, you get to the, you know, high-performance area where I suppose we are right now, whereas I don't, I don't have to instruct that much, especially to our leaders, and and I give them responsibility to spin off, and so I don't know if I'm answering the question, but um, you know, it's something that I like, mm. um, I feel responsible for, but I like to get help. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And 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 you get help by getting the right people in and around you. And that that you know what that's probably the biggest that's probably the most important decisions that I make. That's another thing. The, the, I've only really in the last few years thought about how many decisions I actually make. And it's a lot, mm. you know. There's just so many like throughout the day, and that that um, if you do nothing else, it's that's actually exhausting. Yeah, you know. Um, and I would hate to be burdened by making all those just by myself. Mm. Sure, I might have the final say on them, but hey, man, I'm gonna mm. I'm gonna get some help here, and yeah. you know, what do you think? And and it's amazing um, how that can help you. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the right people then, and let's talk about players. Um, how talented would a player have to be for you to tolerate bullshit from them? 
Well, my initial response was going to be, he can't be that talented. <laughs> there's no, there's, there's no, no doubt, such yeah, thing. Yeah. But then again, it's it might be a it might be again it's just a situational thing, you know. You might be able to tolerate that for a while to get to a certain level, and then it's like mm. you're out, mate. Um, but generally speaking, I just can't. I, I struggle to work like that, mm. Dan. It's um, I I sort of go down the theory of it's not you know the best the best thirteen on the field, but it's the thirteen. It's not just not the thirteen best, the best thirteen. You know, yeah. it's not how the talent of the player it's how they fit together mm. easier to say but you still need talented players mm. but if you've got a particularly the real talented ones if they're not you know if they're not in in the cause that's just going to divide it's going to divide the rest of the talent you have mm. that's what i think so mm. um you'd have to be i might have to tolerate it but i know what the outcome is going to be and, mm. and while i'm tolerating i'm probably trying to find ways to move him on yeah and so how much when you're obviously one of the great, I would argue, strengths of, um, well, not I would argue, I think it's common knowledge, the strengths of the Panthers system is the fact that so many of these players are from the area um, and have been through systems. And, I, you know, I know the pathway systems here, for example, do a lot around um, being good people over and above good footballers, you know, from 15, 16, 17 years of age. Because you um, probably have that as a great advantage over other teams, when you're recruiting from outside, so for example, there's three, four maybe players who have come from outside of the system um, for this year. When you're recruiting, what what's your criteria? So when we first started this journey, uh, well, when I was first involved in this journey, 80% of the f- – the top squad was from outside the area and only 20% was from the inside. It was from inside the area. Um, we wanted to turn that around, as I mentioned earlier. Part of that was to get a greater connection with the the greater community. Um, the other part was, yeah, to, it's actually harder to, to – it was hard harder to recruit to the area in those days because Penrith's not the beach. It's not – as with respect to everyone in Penrith, and I live here too, there's, there's sexier places around than Penrith, um, especially when it's 40 degrees. Uh, so that was part of it. Um, but also just, as you said, the, the the benefit of growing your own players is you have this connection to not only themselves and, you know, each other and um, but also to the, you know, to the cause, to the, you know, to the vision of, you know, pride in their community and it, it, i think it all matters it all you know when you're playing for something greater than yourself it, it's you know i'm not a biology teacher but you know one of our you know core needs as a human is to be part of a community and that's when we op- operate at our best um so that's a, that has a big emphasis on on what we value here and when you recruit from outside so the, the what are you looking for obviously talent obviously you can the yeah. pass catch and all that but how do you go about finding out – I want to use the word character. I don't know if that's too strong, but where you get a sense of the person coming through the door. Yeah, for sure. So, we, I mean, you try and do a bit of your homework, you know, like um, just little things like where they're from and um, if you can obviously talk to people that know them, mm. not just from where they've just been but like before that. Mm. Um, try and get a history of like what's – if they've changed clubs or like why. Mm. Um Meetings, face-to-face meetings, that's, I've found that's a really it's a, it's a really strong way to just to get a feel, get a vibe on someone, um, just in the way they, the language they use and the, the way they talk and even the body language and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, we don't just recruit anyone. And fortunately enough, you know, because of our success, we are kind of becoming a bit more of a destination club where, you, you know, players can – and often, usually, the guys we're we're recruiting, uh, you know, aren't the the top of the tree or anything. You know, we've all our Origin players have all become Origin players here, mm. which is something we're really proud of um, in the last three four years. And there's there's been a lot of them, so we're recruiting more guys that are sort of you know mid range or looking for an opportunity or a restart or whatever. Mm. Um, so it's it, yeah, it's a good position to be in and. It can, we can be a little bit more selective in that sense too because 
one thing for sure, if you become the Panthers, it doesn't matter what what your background, you know, what colour skin you have, like, you know, what music you like, whatever. Um, one thing's for sure, you you got to be able to fit into our value system and um, and if you can do that then and you're half talented, then you should go right. Mm. And when you talk about the values and um, fitting in and the, the cultural, cultural part of it, a phrase that you use um, more than I've heard other NRL coaches use is this idea of a cultural architect. And I know that there's one player specifically that you um, have certainly explained to me as being a cultural architect was Zane Salavano. Can you, because people may, I mean, people listening to this podcast probably have heard that phrase um, one way or another, but how do you think of it when, because it's not the most common of phrases to throw around. Cultural architect, what does it mean? And what did Zane bring here that was required? What needed architecting? I don't even know if that's a verb, but you know. <laughs> um, I, I mentioned earlier about articulating the culture. So I guess putting into words um, how we might look and feel and, and, and the actions we need to live by. Um, and then it's just a case of like if you can get someone that can really inspire others down that path, whatever it may be, then that's what I would call a, a cultural architect, someone who's changed for the, for the better um, or really helped change and develop you know, habits of a certain way that we, we were trying to achieve. So Zane came from the Roosters. He had a bit of a checkered past for various reasons. So he had a real good life story and sort of come out the other side. And so he turned up here a, a real man, I thought. Like he was a man of, you know, it was a, a, a very interesting background. Um, seen some hard times, you know. Um, had some success at a great club at the Roosters and came here and, and yeah, the main way he did it, he was how he trained. Um, I'd had some, I'd had some experience around some of those guys at the Roosters in a rep team, and I liked the way they went about their training. And um, Zane came here, we brought him as more of a player. I didn't really bring him necessarily as a, you know, thinking he was going to be the, you know, a cultural architect. But as it turned out, he just had. We had a couple of guys, but in particular, um, James Fisher Harris and Moses Leota, who are now. Starring cultural architects, yeah, in themselves, <laughs> yeah, starring, yeah, yeah, who were just ripe, yeah. you know, to learn off someone like Zane. Yeah. Um, and just the way he trained, the intensity of you know what he did, we actually used to call him the minister, the minister intensity. Um, so it became a bit of fun thing, yeah. and, and Zane just like he was like, how good, you know, I think he deep down thought, wow, this is cool, you know. Um, and we, yeah, those boys just learnt off. Of Zane. Zane was only here for one year. Yeah, right. Um, wow. Also, there was a period in COVID when we were away for six weeks and, and um, you know, he was just – he was running a couple of little things. He'd train with one of the boys each, you know, each day and just sort of set this standard that I don't think we – we just hadn't had before. Yeah. And the only way you could – only way you could really understand is if someone is doing it, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, yeah, so we sort of set that, that, that phrase up, cultural architect. I might have borrowed it from someone. And uh, yeah, I, I always like to you know use it here and there for someone who's going to be the next guy that yeah. you know sets us up for various things because there's nothing better than learning off the guys you're training with That's or against. Yeah, I saw uh, Jurgen Klopp talking about um, I think it was Jurgen Klopp talking about Mo Salah, you know, and um, coaches can tell um, players that you need to do this and you need to do that, and and th you know they may do it, but if they see Mo Salah doing it. <laughs> They're all doing it, you know, and yeah. it's, it's, it, and, and I think, um, there's two parts to that. One is that, um, you know, there's, you could really put it on them to say, Hey, you're the role model. You go and, and do that. But I think if it's just, yeah, I don't know if, I think if it's, if it's just more innate, if it's, that's who they are, I think that's even more powerful. You know, they're not doing it because they feel they have to be the role model. They're just doing it because that's who they are. And I think that, you know, when you think about this, the, the group that you've got here, I get the sense um, that a lot, of, a lot of the players here are just doing it because that's who they are, not because they go, oh, suddenly now I'm a, the captain. You know, so I don't think Yoey goes, oh, I'm the captain now, so I have to do this. 
like you've you described him as not setting the standard but he is the standard yeah you know? talk to me a bit about yoey and and then we'll we'll get to nath um like talk to me a little bit about isaiah as a captain and 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 what he brings as another leader as part of this this success yeah i i totally concur with everything you've said there around um you know if you've got to encourage people constantly for anything by the way it's not just leadership for yeah. anything and it's going to dry up or wear a bit thin it's going to wear thin on you too you, at some point you're just going to go you know what i'm going to stop encouraging mm. um yowie is uh i've known yowie for near on 10 years now gave me his debut 2014 um a real box ticker like very processed guy like um so what you get from that is an incredible consistency um he's quite conservative so he's he just gets in his little you know his little bubble and just just churns it out day in day out every day just never seems to be happy with what he's done um always looking to you know the next day gets real hard himself doesn't like you know failure and um watches you know cares for the team and and he's now at a point where he's grown enough to be he's quite good at keeping people accountable and mm. chipping blokes or even it could just be a look or whatever mm. they know mm. um but he sets he is the standard so he mm. can he's at that point where he's confident enough in his own ability he's got the runs on the board he's done the work mm. where he can now go i'm passing this on mm. and I, and I'm, i care enough of what i'm doing mm. you guys all better care enough as, as what i do too so um I mean, from my point of view, like those guys are like guys like that are just gold. Mm. Never, almost never have to worry about him. Never have to question his effort or his enthusiasm or his hunger. Um, usually, when you give it, you, you just got to give him enough of enough sort of, I guess, instruction from time to time, and he'll fix it. Mm. You know, and by the way, if he doesn't agree with it, you know that as well. So yeah. you might have to work a bit on making sure he, you know he really understands or he, or he believes in it or if he doesn't forget it we'll move on mm. find something else yeah um <laughs> yeah and um so obviously he's one of the captains the other captain um is nathan and you've told me before you know often you're referred to as nathan's dad so it's great to have you on the show nathan's dad um, my pleasure thank you <laughs> so i nearly i nearly thought that's how i'll intro the you and i thought no no i can't take that risk you just storm off um but um, come on mate you know i wouldn't do that but um and i know you know we've we've had a few different chats about that the the, the relationship of father coach coach father and, and where the boundaries are and the tensions are but I'm keen to hear from you, like, Nathan's journey to where he is now. And I think, you know, that last 20 minutes is like the, you know, the, the, the not the ending, but it's kind of like the high point at the moment. He's been through some stuff, right? Like, everyone might say, oh, well, he's won that great player, da -da, but he, he cops it from different parts of the media at different times, and he's he's known, you know, defeat in the grand final. He's... He, you know, was in a the 2019 team, which you described as, you know, well, not the team per se, but at the time wasn't great. You've also told me in the past that he wasn't the superstar growing up, you know. He wasn't, so I'm just keen to hear a little bit about, as his dad, not his coach, as his dad, when you see how Nathan's charted his career to this point, of which, what, we're probably not even halfway through. Like, what, what, yeah, how do you view that? How do you see that? How do you feel about that when you see Nathan doing what he's doing and dealing with what he's dealing with? Yeah, I think I have to sort of separate it as dad and coach in this instance um, because when I'm his coach, I think I feel – I don't probably notice as much, uh, A, what he's achieving and B, what he's going through. When I'm his dad – for example, from if he's playing for New South Wales or Australia or something, where I'm just there as the, um, just as a spectator, as a dad, 
you know, or over Freddie's shoulder in the game well, three. Apart from, yeah. Yeah, apart from, well, he wasn't playing. So, <laughs> no, so. Uh, fair point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, fact check, please. Yeah. Check. <laughs> <laughs> it is different. Yeah. Uh, and I do – I feel – I get back to like watching him mostly mm. as opposed to when I'm coaching him. He's just one of many I watch, you know. Uh, so if I can get back and if I, I need to separate myself into the dad thing here, mm. um, which isn't easy because I've been coaching him now for five years. So a lot of the stuff he's done for Panthers, um, I probably don't – I don't know. I don't sort of look into that hard as opposed to when you're a dad, you, you tend to analyse everything a bit more. So to go back to when he was a kid, um, he was just a bat and ball kid, you know, like, you know, if if, if aunties and uncles and that wanted to know what he wanted for his birthday, I'd just go, just get him any sort of ball, any shape, size, whatever, he'd be happy. Um, so he was that kid. Um, loved all sports, all that sort of stuff, watched everything. Um, listened a lot too, I've worked out, um, particularly to me. So that's, and that's helped. Um, that's another story about being a captain. Um but in yeah. what way? So go on. Well, well, I I think it's um like trust is a huge thing for me in terms of the way I lead. Like I I need to trust people, and like you you know you can't really delegate for starters if you don't trust mm. them, right? So that's the first thing you got to earn trust, give trust, be trustworthy. Um, but to have your own son, you know, there's there's a like a you can't get any more in my relationship anyone. This is how I feel. You can't possibly. There's no coach. There's no coach in the world, right, who could trust his main playmaker more than I could. That's how I feel. That's pretty much a, that's a bit of a superpower, yeah. and that's unfair in many ways. Unfair on Unfair who? advantage. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. But also there's, there's, some, there's some problems that, you know, you can get it from that as well. But um, that's how I feel about him being a captain. Where he knows, he, like, he when he speaks, it's like, yeah, he's the same actually. That, the, the amount of times that – and I love letting them talk. I, so I let them talk on the field after every training session. I don't get involved. Whereas, you know, early days I would. And and some days I'd be like, oh, geez, I hope they say this, you know. And, or, or if I was I'd, – oh, I'd, I'd, I'd probably say this. They say exactly what I was thinking. Mm. Like it's just uncanny. Yeah. So uh, – I either just talk to them about the same stuff that much that they're sick of it and they don't they can't think of anything else, but they just I just think we're on the same mm. wavelength there. Um, yeah, so that's what I mean by that. Yep. In terms of Nat is a he's just an hours guy, like he's talented Nat, but he's more well, he, equally as talented, he's dedicated mm. to his craft. He's just an hours guy. Um Spends time on it, like puts that much work into it. I still, I am honestly still staggered mm. how much work he puts in as a rugby league player. So I probably would, um, I still like to talk to young guys about having a balanced outside footy. And that does, by the way, but yep. you talk about professional football and that's his job, mate. That's his job because he's, he spends that much time mm. either studying, um, by the way, he studies a lot just because he's a fan. He likes it, so that helps. Or, or just, but just practicing, um, and that can be physically, tactically, mentally. He's done a huge amount mentally, huge amount of work. And as you said, gone through some pretty heavy times. I think the fact that I'm his dad, and he's had to, from a young age, when I first got to Penrith, he was about thirteen, and going to a new school, which is probably hard enough. But now he's the coach's son, and. Mm. Um, and then, and then all of a sudden he's playing. He's going through the junior grades where, of course, the nepotism is just very healthy in and around parents. And mm. um, and that was real for sure. Mm. Um, but he didn't say much. He just kind of took it all in. And uh, he mentions now that, that that inspired him to want to be better than, you know, just to make sure that everyone knew that he was, no doubt. He was yeah. getting picked because of yeah. – so I think that might have helped steal him. But he's the sort of character that he likes those challenges, I think. Yeah. And I think – You've probably seen that now in you know, the grand final, for example. I mean, it's extraordinary. Yeah. But I do feel like he's used all this, all these experiences, good and bad. Yeah. That's another thing. I like the fact that he does that. Like he, you know, he's he's learned how to be vulnerable and be honest enough to admit faults and and in order to be able to yeah. get over them and, and, and get better. You know, one thing I've noticed with him is nev there's never any blame. 
I've never heard him blame or make an excuse. You probably have because you're his dad, so I'm sure there's stuff around the house. But like in the funny sense, <laughs> he's, there's no blame or excuses. It's like, yep, it is. You know, it's that. It is what it is. Okay, this is what I'm gonna do. Or if I don't know what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna figure it out. You know, explore different ideas, train it, figure it out. And for me, like I was telling you before, I was presented at the rookie camp, the NRL rookie camp, a couple of weeks back, and and I, sh- I asked Nat's permission just to share a couple of what he shared, you know, with with the boys here or, or publicly, and that was one of the things. It's like just complete ownership, complete ownership. Like mm. it's um, he owns his career, he owns his craft, he uh, you know every every little bit of that. The other thing I was uh, wanted to just to touch on because I think it's a nice segue is because there must with all that stuff swirling around the nepotism and all that that, that perceived um just all that sh- crap that goes with um young athletes and the parent body <laughs> you know i was telling you earlier like at this rookie camp we were talking um so there's 80 80 of the newest recruits the nrl squad just for the benefit of people listening i know you know this um and we're talking about pressure, and we're saying, okay, where's the pressure come from for you? And some some of the players were talking about, oh, you know, it's game-winning shot, or if I make a mistake. And one of the lads put their hand up, and I thought this was mad, mad brave. He put his hand up, and he said, I feel the most pressure when my dad's watching. And you could feel, you could hear a pin drop in the room as, I don't know what proportion it was, but it was far higher than it should have been proportion in that room all absolutely related to what that kid was saying i'm wondering and what this could be entirely subconscious perhaps maybe you've not not thought about it in that time but what did you do well because you must have done something well nathan's an incredibly level-headed kid um, it might all be his mum's work. I don't know, right? But I'm wondering. I'm, won- I'm wondering what you did. What you know? I know you don't like taking credit, but I want you. To, I wonder if you can tell me what did you do well as a parent, as the as Nath was growing up, and what's in your in your capacity now? What can you objectively say parents do badly when it comes to nurturing emerging athletes coming through? Well, I think one thing that I think helped me in to deliver the the things I most value now uh, I did with Nat, with Nat, where it was all about just the fundamental stuff about playing. Things like make you know make your tackles, you know they're important. Um, be a good teammate, support play, um, you know. Um, Real fundamental stuff, which which ends up meaning you don't really make many errors. You value little things, diving a loose ball, um, listen to your coach, like <laughs> all that stuff. Honestly, and he'll he'll tell you. I still tell him now, mm. like before an Origin game, I'll actually send him a text, and it'll be dead set that stuff. Yeah. I might as well just cut and paste from under twelves. Consistency. Um, you said yeah. you like consistency. Um, <laughs> and I I honestly think that's the best. Like. You can, we can get lost in all this other stuff, and um, but if you do that stuff well over and over and over again, you can then, like I was saying before about compound interest, you got the principle right, then you can, then you can grow it. You know, if you're taking money out of the principle and you know spending on something else and start losing it, losing the base. So, I think that's an issue with parents, generally speaking. If I can generalize it, mm. is that they're too worried about outcomes, too worried about getting picked for something or the next step or which essentially is out of their control. Mm. Uh, it is a team sport and if you're too focused on what you want your son or, or daughter to be doing, you actually, you're, you end up being that maybe that talented one that's not following the values of mm. everyone else. And yeah, uh, kids feel that, you know, because mm. they're probably listening, trying to listen to the coach or what they think they should be doing, and maybe the parents are. And it's all in. I'm sure it's all in good. Yeah, you know, it, it, best intentions. Best, best intentions, definitely. But that's where I would. Sorry, I think if you ask me the question, I think, I think, I did that well with that. I think I gave him a good grounding of what's important mm. um, to be able to build a solid foundation. Mm. Um, 
to then be able to use his own talents and you know t- to grow from there. The other thing about Nat is he's a guy that you don't need to give him much instruction. You know, he's a he's a self-starter. He's he's he analyzes himself stuff himself anyway. He he fixes his own mistakes a lot. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like he's not <laughs> like now. He doesn't really like being told because most of the time he already knows, you know what I mean. Like, So I didn't have to give him a lot of instruction. And when I did, he, he listened and he and he got to work. You only had to tell him once. you know. So that's probably more fortune for me that, that he's like that. And because it sounds like as well the instruction that you gave – that just taking the broad brushstrokes that you share, it actually was more team-focused, other-focused, you know? Make your tackles, not because it good, it's good for you, it's good for the team. Dive on the loose ball, not because it's good. No one wants to dive on the loose ball. There's boots flying everywhere, you know, but it's good for the team, um, which is definitely something that comes through, again, this group. It's, it's you know, he walks the walk, and you know, of, of the values that we've got here. Yeah, I was probably, like, and I was... Remembering I was already a head coach by the time he started playing rugby league. Mm. So, you know, in that sense, I'm probably just reflecting what I'm telling yeah. my team from coming from a professional environment where the yeah. most important thing for me was that the team wins. Yeah. Um, so that that probably helped. But, um, you know, I was also brought up to like the, if the team wins and everybody wins. So, mm. uh, and I suppose that's where my journey in leadership started where I always cared and I was always taught to care about the team first and, and, and the team result mm. was the most important thing as opposed to, you know, you, you scoring three tries or yeah. or whatever. It wasn't any good if you lost. What about from the emotional point of view? Like um, I, I wonder if the kid I'm thinking of at rookie camp, the pressure was, you know, what's dad going to think of me, um, you know, if I lose or if I don't get picked. Were you deli- – how, how did you frame that? Like were you – was it – or was it never an issue because Nathan always got picked? Or no, no, it's not. No, it's not always been like that. And I've mm. got another son as well. Mm. Um, that it's well, he's know, going through the grades. Yeah, now, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So that's another story. Um, yeah. but daughters too. You know, my yeah. kids have played sport at various levels, and mm. um, always just try to go back to what you can control. The rally of selections, and there's, you're always going to get disappointments and. Mm. Um, I know sometimes when they do get picked, you know, it's like, you know, it could have easily gone the other way, you know. Yeah. So let's not hang out, hang our hat all right. on the selection or the outcome. You know, let's focus more on, you know, how did you play? What did you think? Did you prepare well? Mm. Et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I'd, I'd certainly – and again, I'm probably fortunate because I've been through, you know, I've, I've lived my life in rugby league. So I've, I know the parent I don't want to be. Yeah, I've right. seen it, you know. So that's probably helped me sort of go yeah, well. Make sure you know I'm not that I'm not that guy. I'm 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 channeling my energies into what we can control. You know, giving him advice on stuff that maybe other people either don't or may not know. Mm. So things around you know preparation. It's always usually preparation. Yeah. Um, you know, analyzing what went right, what went wrong, mm. taking ownership. All that stuff, and yeah. as I said, fortunately, Nat, he didn't need to be told that often. So. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's round this out with three in a row. Everyone's, you know, the, the, everyone's gunning. How how do you? I, I know how you think about this, but I'm curious to for you to share this. You know, how do we shift that thinking between um, everyone's coming to get us f- to it doesn't that doesn't matter because we're not where they think we are <laughs> you know like the idea from uh, being from the hunted to the hunter kind of uh, mentality how how important is that as a motivational lens um when it comes to now setting setting the sights on 2024 you know yeah of course people are coming for us but it's irrelevant because yeah well it likes like i said earlier we don't really want to live in the past but you can learn from it and we've definitely learnt from because we've won before then we've learnt how to then how the landscape changes or can change from you know being like being the chaser to being chased um 
we struggled a bit with that last year, ironically, after doing it in 22, doing it pretty well for the most part, I thought. Last year it became, I don't know, we were almost burdened by it a little bit, whereas we we had discussed it the year before, so it wasn't like it was a new concept, but we just didn't, we weren't living it. Mm. And we had to sort of, you know, you know, with your help, had to get a little bit real about it and, because it was killing us. It's like, you know, it's exhausting. Yep. Um, so it was just going back to the, you know, just a, you know, I guess a, a vision or a framework around, okay, no one can take the rings off us, right? They're in the cupboard or whatever they're doing. If It could be like one of the boys wearing it around or around your neck, whatever. whatever. You can't take the rings off us. The trophy's in the, you know, in the foyer. Um, CCTV, that's going yeah. nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're playing for a new trophy that they haven't made yet. Mm, yep. And that's, if you just look at it like that, then it's all new. There's Then you can maybe refer to the new players that we have who weren't part of it or some players in the squad that, you know, have been a big part of Everyone in our squad is a part of what we each campaign, but they mightn't have taken the field that night. Mm. Someone might have been injured, like really unlucky or through selection, unlucky. And little bits like that is like all of a sudden you've got all these guys that are like, man, like they don't care that much about last year or the year before, mm. you know. Um, and, and yeah, it's a new trophy to go after. And I also just think we've found through experience it's like, yeah, like you like, you like winning and, all, and you, once, you've, once you get to experience how much fun that is, mm. it's like I don't want another team to be able to have that. You, you do become a little bit protective, so that's that's where the, that the problem can come, where you, you start getting a bit protective of. It. But it's more like, well, hey, you know what? Let's make sure you know we're doing everything we can to be standing in the middle of a core stadium with that trophy again, because how much fun's that? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, um, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, I'm really obviously enjoying the work um, I'm getting to do with you guys. It's um, it's like the ultimate playground for me. So uh, thank you for that opportunity. And um, if we could just leave, um, what what I've been doing actually is um, asking guests to share like one like seminal kind of book or or what something that they found to be really useful as a bit of a um, you know a, a moment that was a turning point or a real light bulb or something that really um stimulated your thinking what would uh what would you if you could only read one book what would it be christmas is coming fits in the stocking what do you get that's a big firstly dan thanks for having me um i actually i don't actually reflect enough i don't think so opportunities like this allow me to reflect which i think is helpful so that's one thank you no worries, mate. um I've read a bunch of books over the year, mm. over the years. It's lucky that you're actually sitting in my office, and I'm looking, up, look at I'm looking up at yeah. my, my, my um, all my books. Um, I think one of the best ones I read, uh, which is a long time ago, is a book called Quiet Strength um, by a guy called Tony Dungy, who's an NFL coach, uh, the first African American coach to win a Super Bowl with the. Uh, Indianapolis Colts, um, great rival to Bill Belichick uh, in the early 2000s. And uh, he's actually a man of faith, which I am not necessarily. Um, I do believe in some of those concepts, but I don't know. There was just something about the way that he – he was a guy that was one of the first NFL coaches that didn't sleep in his office or would make time for family. And, you know, he just had a different – like a different um, – sort of style broke the mold a little bit mm. and and was able to be really successful too so i re- really enjoyed that book and felt a little bit of like well, maybe he's a little bit like and that gave me the confidence to be able to you know prioritize prioritize family yeah. time and try and work that into the busy schedule of yeah. of coaching so that, that that's a good one i, I re- definitely recommend that i um I, I do like alex ferguson's stuff he's not really i don't really think i'm like what he's like but there's some just little he's a talks a lot about you know having um two eyes and two ears and only one mouth so there's a reason for that um i love i love that sort of stuff uh yeah um the last one 
I read, I just read um, a book called The Storyteller by Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters. Yeah. Um, big Foo Fighters fan. And um, you, you asked about where you get, you know, stuff from and interesting enough, just little things around his story. And, and he tells a good story too. And uh, everyone deep down, and I'm the same, we'd love to be a rock star. So, sure. And first choice, first <laughs> yeah. choice job. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I, I, yeah, I would recommend Quiet Strength. Okay. Tony Dungy, it's, uh, it's a few years on it now, but yeah. um, you don't have to be an NFL fan. Um, but anyway, I thought that was a good one. Cool. All right. Well, 2024, may the fourth be with you, eh? Let's hope so, Dan. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, Thanks mate. No, thank you. Cheers. As we always say, if you found that conversation worthwhile, then there's a fair chance that somebody you know would find that conversation worthwhile. So please feel free to share this as far and as wide as possible. Share it in an email, share it in a text message, WhatsApp group, put it on your socials. Doing that is really, really powerful. It's a little thing for you to do, but it has this huge ripple effect across the internet and gets the Habits of Leadership podcast into the ears of people who are yet to even hear of us. Also, don't forget, if you're interested in hearing and learning more about the Habits of Leadership Academy, then please head over to habitsofleadership.com and click on the Academy page there. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, leave a five-star review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Again, that is the best way and zero-cost way you can support this show. If you have any questions for an upcoming Q&A, then please head over to habitsofleadership.com, click on the podcast page there, and you can leave us a voice message or a text message. And until our next episode, as always, thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. Take care. Take it easy.